the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Planted with Sarah Pyon. I'm Sarah Pyon, your host, and today we have Barbara Platts, editor of Sweet Jane Magazine. Barbara, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you for having me. Oh, yeah, I'm I'm excited to have you here. I really, I love the fact that you have a cannabis publication that is geared towards women, which is a lot of what we're going to be talking about today. Because we had, whereas in the medicinal days, there was a lot of influence by women. We were looking at it changing the way that we look at business, especially with that glass ceiling or green ceiling, maybe in our case. But we've, you know, as we've gotten into legalization and we're starting to see some of the traditional, um, how would you say it? structure of business falling in we're finding more and more women are falling by the wayside and we need to engage and change that and I think Sweet Jane is a great part of what we need to be doing yeah you're so right it's I mean it's funny even from a business perspective uh, a lot of surveys right now are showing that you know women between 30 and 60 are the biggest group consuming cannabis right now but yet a lot of what the stories out there, a lot of the brands out there aren't really catered toward us. Um, and I think it's important that, that we're part of the conversation and that we're um, sharing what we know with, with people that have been in cannabis, you know, or, or interested or consuming cannabis for a long time and people that may just be trying it for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember like before we were into legalization and, and cannabis was becoming somewhat more mainstream, but I say that from a place of privilege because I'm sitting here in in uh, lovely Oakland, where we've, <laughs> we've been having it for a while. But, you know, before this, I always found like as a woman who enjoyed cannabis, that I, I found more guys that were interested in consuming, but that wasn't necessarily so. It was that I think in many ways, women were keeping it to themselves more. It was more of a private thing. And now we're seeing with um, more women consuming. We're seeing really interesting pro products coming out. And, you know, even though because the cost of entry is so prohibitively high and we don't see as many investors investing in female-fronted companies, we still are seeing women stepping up and taking leadership in the industry. And I'm really hoping that there's more of a push to support that because, there's this, and and I say this, I'll I'll, I'll preface it with, I, I, I love guys, they're wonderful, they have a lot to offer, there's some sensitive, thoughtful men out there, and, and I see you, hello, <laughs> but <laughs> there's also this, this side of business that is very, has a very a male-oriented characteristic where it's not so much about the care and the thought as much as it is, build it up, get it out, sell it, make some money, and we'll deal with the repercussions later. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And obviously, you know, I'm sweeping with a broad brush, but, you know, I think it, it is a lot more get it out. It's a lot more focused on the individual. Um, and I think women bring in the component of community. And I think they bring in the component of, um, I don't know, wanting to talk things out and, and understand things a bit more. And um, I think that's so important in this industry because it's, it's been around for a long time, of course, the, the industry, but it's shifting constantly. And we really have an opportunity to start this from the ground up in, in a way. I mean, I mean, we already have started it, but but when it goes federally legal, it's 
an opportunity and do we want it to be like all of the other industries or do we want it to be equitable do we want it to be uh, i don't know just more more of a uh, I guess a team, uh, more of a team, more supportive of each other, um, like coopetition, as some people call it. I think I like that. I think we have the chance to, right? I got that from uh, Nancy Whiteman, the uh, CEO of Wana, uh, Wana Brands, uh, and she just she's always practiced that, which I like. She's like, you know, it's not that we're not competing, but we should help each other out too. And I, I, I think women oftentimes bring that to the table um, in a different way than men do. And so I think it's vital we're a part of the industry. It's vital we're part of the conversation uh, on the business side, on the advocacy side, on the education side. Um, there's yeah, a lot of components there. Yeah, for sure. And 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 before we dig into to more of that, I, I want to start out with, well, I guess we've already started, but what was your first <laughs> cannabis experience? Oh, wow. Yeah, I am. Um, well, you know, you said, you know, sitting in a place of privilege. I, I am also right now. I'm in Boulder, Colorado, and I grew up here, um, lived in California for a while, went to school in Boston, but um, but came back here to settle down. And I think my first experience was outside of a church uh, in a, on a Saturday night, like at midnight with some friends. And we were just walking around bored, you know, 16 year olds who didn't have anything to do and uh and uh someone you know pulled out a joint I'm sure just made like horribly like the first time you never made it and we were all really nervous and then finally we're just like let's do it and uh I, you know I don't even remember if I felt anything I think I thought I felt something but you know people always say you don't always feel it your first time but I think it it was even living in Boulder it, um it was built up in my head as something that was just bad like you know I was okay with drinking beers and wine and stuff but I just it wasn't okay to smoke weed and then I kind of just made that decision and I was like well this is this is what's everyone freaking out about <laughs> and uh, after that I loved it in 18 I got my medical license um and I've uh you know I've loved it ever since uh, I think you know at the beginning I was you know I think I think it's developed more into um pacing myself more than I used to. I know my dosage, you know, when at the beginning, you're just kind of trying, especially when you're like a teenager, trying everything and you're like, oh, well, I'll try this. Oh, can I smoke before class? Oh, you know, just testing the boundaries. But now I'm kind of like, okay, I know, I know when and where, <laughs> but it's been, uh, it's been, what is that? Uh, what a 14, 15 year love affair. And uh, it's been fun to watch it evolve in, in Colorado and nationally. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I remember um, when Colorado passed rec, I was really surprised that it happened before California. Um, but yeah, it was good because we got to I mean, I think that one of the things that's wonderful about watching things evolve is how we can learn from one another and not reinvent the wheel constantly. Like, and, and I mean, and I think that, you know, when we're looking at policy and the way things are set up, there's also that sensitivity to to culture as well because state culture is really strong although I think and maybe it's because there are a lot of people from California who went to Colorado um <laughs> I do think in many ways that the culture is very similar especially around like health and getting out and doing things and there's like there's definitely like a lot of things that Colorado and California have in common totally totally I think spending time I I lived in LA, but even there, I, I felt like there were so many similarities um, between Boulder and LA. And um, I, yeah, I think it's been interesting, yes, because California is obviously the oldest market in medicinal, but it was interesting that they came around to the legalized, um, the legal market a little bit later. And 
Um, and it's still interesting to see. I mean, the, I think most of the rules are pretty similar. Um, I think that California has some more environmental rules as far as testing than Colorado. Um, but it's, yeah, it's kind of interesting to see how, and we, maybe we try something like when they first, when um, cannabis first became legal in Colorado, it, uh, people were, Chiba Chews were a big thing. I mean, they're still around, but the people were getting these Tootsie Rolls and these little cookies that were a hundred milligrams. And people just were like, oh, I'll just pop that in my mouth. And people were freaking out. I mean, there were people that were calling the hospital saying they thought they were dying because they were just so paranoid. Um, and it, it, you know, I mean, a, a New York Times columnist wrote a story about like just falling into like lying on her bed for eight hours. She couldn't that was, get up. That was the worst investigative journalism ever. I refer I to that one in most of my classes. <laughs> yeah, as I noticed. Oh, but it was, you know, they got oh, all this attention. Like, what are Bill Marine? Yes. <laughs> it got all this attention. Like, what are these edibles? And then it kind of made Colorado rethink. Like, okay, let's. We need to make sure that these are. 10 milligram servings, at least for the recreational market, and they're, they are divided up. You can actually see the serving. It's not just one piece that's 100 milligrams. And I think, I think little things like that are good. I mean, you know, it's um, to kind of, it's, it's testing the water and then like, okay, that was a little too much. Maybe we need to try something a little different. And I think a lot of states now have a similar, um, a similar style with edibles. You know, they're not just going to give you 100 milligram little piece of taffy. They're going to split it up for you. So I just think it's, you know, we're, we're learning things from each other. And I think that's great um, state by state. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, and I think along with that, it, it helps reteach people critical thinking. Because, you know, people just are like, oh, well, it's legal now. Well, now I can just eat this whole candy and not ever consider dosage. And I'm like, well, you and, and I and I hate making this this comparison because it is not the same. But and like just because you can have a cocktail doesn't mean you should drink a fifth of something exactly you know it, that was the thing that always and 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 i i say this as a person who did it myself because when i was going through chemo and i was i had gotten this cannabis beverage that i don't think they even make anymore called irish moss and it was a very strong one. And I, nobody had a conversation with me about dosage. It wasn't something I thought about. I drank too much of it. I went to my first conversation with my oncologist about chemo. And I found out, I found myself being extraordinarily high there. And then I got home and I was like, why didn't I consider THC dosage? And it's something that now I think I'm like is in the foremost of my mind. And I think people should always be aware of it. But we're not unless we're taught. Yeah, it's true, and 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 I think I like to hand it to to bud tenders a lot. I think I you know if someone asks me suggestions like they're coming to Colorado or they're going to a dispensary for the first time, I I give them a couple suggestions. But I'm like talk to the people there because they are there all the time and they like talking about it. And um, so I, I think it's. But, but then on the other hand, sometimes people that work at dispensaries have a much higher tolerance than someone that's trying it for the first time. So, um, but I, but I, I do think, you know, um, educate, there needs to be more education. Like, you know, one of our most popular stories on sweetjanemag.com is edible dosage. And it's just the most basic guide on gummies. And, but people Google that all the time because they don't know. And it's, it, you know, you, you pick up a package and it's, it doesn't tell you it just tells you what's in it um but it doesn't 
no one, people don't understand the milligram system and until they start and look into it. And so I just, I think that's why education is so important. Um, you know, what you're doing, what we're doing, it's, we need to just talk about it and talk about it and talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, and conversation is normalization. That's what I always like to say too. It's like when we can have conversations about it, people can, you know, ask more questions. They can, like, I, the one thing that I always, I always ask people, you know, like, well, what's the dosage for this or what's the dosage for that? I'm like, well, what's going on with you? Like, how sensitive are you to other substances? How sensitive are you to pharmaceuticals? How sensitive are you to coffee? Like, let's ask these questions. Like, let's delve within ourselves and see how we metabolize other things, because in many ways that will inform us about how we need to approach our initial experimentation with cannabis. Like, you know, some people are, you know, someone will say, oh, this is ridiculous, but some people, one milligram is all it takes to get them where they need to go. And when people are embarrassed about that, I'm like, you have no idea how much money you save. That's amazing. Like, keep that tolerance (laughs) low. Do it. (laughs) Yeah. I'm honestly almost in that boat. Like, I found my sweet spot about 2.5. I can go up to five, um, at least for edibles. You know, like, I feel like I can smoke joints all day, but it's something about edibles just uh, treats me differently. Um, and I, I love 2.5. I like love the little micro ghost dose gummies coming out now. It's like, it's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that too. And my, my tolerance for edibles is much lower than, you know, m- my inhalables. And I know people who don't me- metabolize edibles at all. So it's like, when we are looking at the different ways of using cannabis, they are different substances in themselves, really, because our bodies metabolize them differently. So when I used to work in the dispensary and someone would say, oh, I want to try an edible, and I have a really high tolerance for smoking, and it was usually a dude, he's like, oh, you know, I've been smoking for over 30 years. Like, yeah, whoa, so have I. Let's talk about it. <laughs> you know, but, but just, you know, you, you you still might be a cheap date on the edible side, even if you can consume a lot of THC on the inhalable side. Yeah, yeah. And it's always so funny. It's like, it's not a contest. No, it's not. It, <laughs> unless like, you want to have one with yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you want to compete with yourself, but it's like, yeah, and it uh, it's funny, and I think that I think that's where we started with edibles when they became legal in Colorado. It's like, how high can you go? And then I was like, oh no, that's not good. We don't need to be. Yeah, <laughs> we don't need to be doing that. <laughs> I think we saw a lot of that in California too. And then when we got into legalization, and we we dialed it back into the five and ten milligram increments, which I think is really good. But now as we're starting to mature, we're starting to have some higher dosage products that are easy to dose out with the caveat that they are high dosage so that we can help people who have higher tolerances who don't want to spend a ton of money just to get where they need to go with that feel, especially from the medicinal side. Because as we get into medicinal and recreational at the same time, recreational is always going to win out for products, especially when we're looking at it from an inventory standpoint, because how many, you know, consumers do you have getting their recommendations to be able to purchase medical products? Not so many these days, especially because we get more people than ever before coming in using it medicinally through recreational, or I like to say adult use purchases, because then they don't have to talk to anybody about getting a recommendation. Yeah, paperwork or, you know, I mean, I, I don't know how true it is now, but it used to be your your name is now in a da- database or, you know, you're, you're kind of, you're, you have a record now if you never 
you can't ever work for the government or you know, things like that. If you, uh, um, I was, was paranoid about that when I was 18. I was like, I don't know if I can work for the federal government, but then I was like, I don't know if I want to, <laughs> but right? getting your name in a medical database. And it's, uh, I think people don't like that either. That kind of, then there's a record uh, in a sense. Um, and, but a lot of people need it. And, and you're right. I mean, you can't, we can't charge people that are really struggling, people going through chemo, people going through a lot of pain that are using this as a medicine. They, they should be able to get this at a reasonable price. Um, so it, I, I do think that, that you have to have a, you have to treat the medical and the recreational market differently. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I believe that too. I also believe we have to do a lot more to preserve the medical market because we have a lot of really vulnerable people who don't have as much help as they should with this. Um, but before we get into that, how did you get into cannabis? How did you start writing for Sweet Jane and and what do you, what do you like the most about your work? Yeah, I, um, I started, it's actually funny. I met Kate, uh, Katie Ibsen is the, she's the founder of Sweet Jane magazine. And I met her through kind of a mutual friend who is a lobbyist in Kansas. Um, she's not a consumer, but she, she fights for uh, cannabis rights and, you know, uh, the market in Kansas. And she just introduced us because, uh, you know, I was, I, I was a writer. I was working, um, a show on American public media uh, marketplace. And I was looking to do some freelancing because I was more on the marketing side there. Uh, so she introduced us and I just had a conversation with Katie on the phone. And um, I guess, you know, I honestly, I was very into journalism and I just didn't, but I didn't think about it from cannabis necessarily. I was a consumer and I was a journalist and those were two very separate things. Um, not, not purposefully, that's just kind of how they worked out. But I, so I started just doing some freelance stories for her and, um, and it was really fun. And it just kind of made me realize like, you know, if you're as a reporter, it's a, this is a pretty fascinating industry to report on. There's a lot happening. Um, you know, I mean, in agriculture, it's the most exciting thing we've seen in what hundreds of years. I mean, it's just a very, um, there's so much going on and there's so much to learn. So I just started getting a little more into it. And then um, I uh, became the online editor uh, for Sweet Jane Magazine, and then COVID hit, and we kind of, we'd already had two print issues, um, but then at that point, it just, it, you know, we, it wasn't, everybody was uncertain, advertisers were uncertain, everything just felt a little unstable, so we said, let's just, let's go digital for now, and just kind of see what happens, so I, I became the online editor and worked on that side of things, and we just now, that was, what, March 2020, so we just now came out with our uh, a few months ago came out with our third print issue and our first since the since the pandemic um, that was the parenting edition <laughs> thank you and that was I so I guess it's and about six months before that um Katie asked me to be the editor-in-chief so she was doing publishing and being the editor and she was it was too much she wanted to focus on one so she brought me on and it's been such an honor um I learned something new every day I meet so many amazing people and I think I think that's the most fun. I mean, I think, I think there, there's so many aspects I love. I love telling stories. Um, I love, uh, you know, being able to share things and teach people things and learn things for myself. But I think it's really inspiring just the people you meet, um, both men and women that yeah. um, are, are just, you know, love this plant or love, um, love something, some aspect of cannabis and want to share their story. I think that's that's probably my favorite part. Um, 
and there are so many stories to tell. <laughs> so you could, I, I wish we had, you know, wish we could, you know, print hundreds of pages every time, you know, we put an issue out, but uh, it's, so I think that, yeah, I think my favorite part is the people. Yeah. Well, yeah, with, with all the different people that are doing so many interesting and great things, it's like, you have a lot of, of content. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. And then to have yeah. been able to like, do you think that like being with a magazine through an extreme event, like a pandemic and kind of seeing like the pause, which I mean, we all went through, there was a time where I think we were all looking at each other just like with our hands in the air, like what's, what do we do now? What's happening to like that? Yeah, it's, it's like the, um, like I, my, my background is in org psych. So I talk about like with, with organizational change, we call it storming, norming and reforming. And it's like, I think it was like a collective storming, norming and reforming for the past <laughs> two years where everyone's figuring out like, where am I sitting? What am I doing? And and some people are like, you mean I could have been doing this all along and it would have been okay? Like just there's, what do you, what did you learn through taking, taking the magazine through an extreme time like this? Yeah, storming Norman, I like that. <laughs> yeah, I think, well, it's, it, I think that's a good point to what you said. I, I think a lot of people more came out of the green closet during that time. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, people, we, um, a lot of, a lot of people started podcasts or they, you know, about it at that time, it's because they were stuck at home and they didn't know what to do and they wanted to, to talk more about it. Um, I think, you know, we have stories of parents, um, finally talking to their kids about their consumption and vice versa. And, uh, so I think it, I think it kind of allowed, I don't know, I think in some ways it allowed us to be a little more of ourselves. Like we kind of just came, I, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it was not going into the office all the time and just kind of having to be with ourselves all day. And then I think in some ways people became more honest about it and more open. I would even say me personally during that time. I mean, I shared the stories I wrote for Sweet Jane, but I think, um, I think even I, I felt like a, I don't know, like what's the big deal? <laughs> it's a plant and we're enjoying it. And uh, I think it helped a lot of people through and um, in, in a really tough time. Sorry, I'm not being very eloquent in this, but it's, you know, it's, uh, no, I, I think it shifted a lot of things. Um, I don't know about business wise, but, you know, I think it, I think it just allowed us to be a little more of ourselves yeah. and just like how, uh, I mean, people drank a lot more. I think people smoked a lot more and, um, and it, I ate dessert a lot more for the first few months until I started to realize <laughs> that I needed to like cut it back. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I think we all, maybe we all leaned into our vices a little heavily. And then I think most of us found a way to, you know, settle down or equal out yeah it. in the beginning it was like it's the end of the world eat dessert let's make it happen yeah yeah, yeah. who cares <laughs> that's it that's it and then I was like when I finally like left the house and went to put jeans on I was like oh moment of reckoning okay yeah stretch your pants for a little bit be gentle with yourself yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly exactly be gentle with yourself uh yeah I, it's it might I'd be interesting to do a story actually on that. Um, you know, the uh, what did change during the pandemic? I mean, we know there were, it was a struggle for a lot of businesses, but a lot of businesses also thrived. Yeah. You know, I think cannabis delivery became a lot more popular. Um, 
I know it did in LA. That's where I was for the first part of it. Um, so it, it's interesting from a business perspective um, how it helped. But I think the sad part is I think it I think it put I think women a lot of women had to leave the workforce. I mean I, I don't think I know. I mean the numbers were in the millions, and I think we saw what was it? What's the stat I was looking at today? Um, you know, in 37, in 2017, 37% of um, executive level roles in cannabis were, um, were led by women. Women fulfilled the 37% and today it's 22%. So, <sighs> you know, I think, I think that's part of it, you know, is um, people had to, the primary care, caregivers had to go home. They had to teach their kids. They, and I'd like to think it's, changing and, and women are getting back out there but I think I, I don't know I think that's that's that, that's sad yeah well and I remember um when that 37 percent number came out there were a lot of women in the industry that were like what the heck happened even then because it had been such a higher and much higher percentage before I mean when we were looking at legalization in California and at that point in time there was a really really strong group of leadership in California that were female and as we started dealing with permitting issues and all trying to get cash flow and it became really really difficult and I noticed I know I, I see it in waves where I'll look on LinkedIn or on social media and I'll see a bunch of people and a lot of them are women and they're like yeah I'm leaving the industry I'm going to something else you know, it's it, this isn't this isn't sustainable. But they put their heart and soul into beautiful products, which some of them that I that I I miss very much, and I miss I miss the presence of these women in our community and what they had to bring. And it's I just wonder like what we can do to outside of like the ease of entry and and the things that we look at like you know the fact that. Men tend to be much better with being able to get financing, and it's hard enough because of the banking situation with cannabis, you know, mm -hmm. and then you're also dealing with sometimes with investing, you have people who don't have the best of intentions that are really coming from the cutthroat world of business where they're like, yeah, I'll give you the loan and then I'll own your company later because you won't be able to pay me back. You know, there's just like, mm -hmm. there's so many, there are so many things that can get in the way for anybody to start business but especially when you're female and you know we are looking at even though as times have changed like I was, I was talking to my nieces the other week and I was like you know when auntie was born women couldn't get credit cards in their own name that wasn't too long ago that was in the wow. 70s you know and but we're still very much, you know, whether it's through society or biology, we are more about when things go to shit, like huddling up and taking care of the family and doing whatever we need to do to make things happen, which exactly. Yeah, well, means sometimes stepping away from your heart's work. Yeah, yeah. And um, and we in our parenting edition, we actually had a piece on um, the childcare industry and cannabis. And there aren't, there aren't a ton of numbers out there, you know, specifically related to childcare and the cannabis industry, but there are, um, you know, the, uh, the women in cannabis study, um, by Jennifer Wetzel who came out, but it came out a few months ago. Yeah. Uh, it did, it did say that, um, it included 1600 participants, um, 
and found women or um, and found that only 0.02% received childcare benefits. Uh, and this, they also found that 3% of women business owners offer childcare uh, benefits within the industry. And I don't think that's always the company's fault. They can't, like you said, they can't get loans. The banking system's a problem, but they can't, most companies, you know, we, we called a lot of companies asking, do you have childcare benefits and big ones too. And it, a lot of them said, no, you know, here's what we do have. We're trying to help, but that's not, it's not very present in the industry right now. And I think that would be one thing that would help uh, bring some women um, back into it or into it for the first time. You know, um, that, that, that's just one small factor, but it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting. I also, like I found, you know, going to a lot of the conferences, like I, I, I went to the conferences when they were much smaller, you know, back in the day when you actually could get like samples of products at a, at a conference. It was kind of like triggers reading. Um, but, Just like Halloween. Yeah, totally. Totally. Somebody once referred to it as, as hippie Halloween to me. And I was like, yeah, but you know, not everybody's a hippie. So you can't really say that. <laughs> oh. to now, you know, where it's like, there's, there's definitely like more of a, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's a, it's a different vibe. It's a very, I, I, I find that it's not as, let me get to know you as, is what can you do for me? Oh yeah. It's more transactional. More transactional. And it's, you know, and, and that's, I think one of the things that I love about working with other women is, yeah, you know, there are some women who can be transactional too. Sure. You know, we're all, it's it, men, women, we all run the, the, the gamut of the spectrum. But I found that by and large, um, the women that I've met in the industry are really about helping each other out and not necessarily take, 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 but also, hey, let's work on this together. Or you help me with this. Let me help you with that. And I really, I feel like if we could build up more of that, and I think it's really hard too, because there are people who are trying to do it. But they're also looking at how to sustain themselves and fill the well while they create these communities, and and how do you how do you do that and you know charge dues for people who are struggling to to make things work to begin with, and then they have to kind of contribute to all these different groups to be able to have the networking to grow their businesses. It's it's like a it's a loop. Yeah, it is, and I. I wonder what will happen when it is, you know, federally legal. I think, I know a lot of people are kind of like, oh, I prefer decriminalization to, uh, to legalization on a federal level, but I think it's necessary, um, you know, for, for several reasons. I think, it, you know, to, I, I think it, uh, thousands, hundreds of thousands of sentences need to be commuted um, for people in jail for, you know, drug crimes and drug offenses, uh, yeah. you know, but and I think the banking system's another reason. Um, but I do always wonder, like, I try to think, compare it to what, what will it be? You know, will will I, I like think of the beer industry, you know, will there be like the Budweiser? There probably will be like the Budweiser's and the Coors Lights, but I hope there's like still the craft brews and the, you know, the, the people that are like just experimenting and trying things that, that not everyone else is trying. You know, I, I don't know what exactly where, where we'll be um, or how it'll shake out, but I hope there's still a very grassroots side to the cannabis industry um where we'll see more of that you know community and um and 
people helping each other out. Um, there, I'm sure there will be big money and there will be that side of it, but I hope there's the other side that that always exists. Yeah, I, I hope so too. I, I think that there will be, I mean, just like with, with the, um, the alcohol industry where, you know, for the longest time it was a lot of the big companies and you weren't seeing smaller producers, but then they started popping up and people understand the value of it. Like, you know, here in the Bay Area, we have, you know, artisan winemakers and, you know, there's there's a company that does some really great gin. Like we have some distilleries. And I remember like in the 90s when the craft beers started kind of popping up, it kind of reminded me of like how, you know, movies started just being very big and blockbustery. And then we started having like the indie films and then people were like, oh, yeah, this is what I this is what I like. This is what I remember. And it kind of reminded them of like that golden time of like indie film in the 70s. And it's like, mm-hmm. I think that we'll, we'll have, now we have TikTok. <laughs> now we have TikTok. <laughs> and that scares me. <laughs> well, you know, everyone's a filmmaker now. <laughs> Everyone is. We all create content in our own way. There's something for everyone. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But sorry, I didn't interrupt you, but no, I, I hope you're right that it, people, People want that indie. They want. They don't want just the big blockbuster hits. <laughs> I I think it's part of a healthy industry, and I think that it's really important when we see in states where. Well, going back to just the federal thing, another thing that's important is taxation because people mm-hmm. can't who work in the industry can't claim a lot of the business expenses that other businesses can, and that's a huge thing. And actually, I was when I used to work on the floor for my company. I remember finding out from my boss that when he did his taxes, that a portion of my work was actually categorized to the federal government as trafficking. So like three quarters of my job was as a trafficker. And I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, for somebody, I don't have a record. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm not like, you know, goody two shoes. Like my name on that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I've, I've kept my, I've kept my nose clean through the years. So I was like, oh, wait, can't wait to tell mom that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not going to put that one on my resume. <laughs> <laughs> Professional trafficker. There we go. That'll give you some cred. <laughs> yeah. But it's, yeah, I don't, I mean, you're on the business side of things. I don't know how, um, how you do it with, with just not being able to take out loans or have a bank back you. I mean, we've even had that issues like that at Sweet Jane uh, of people not we don't, we're not selling cannabis. We're, but people are like, oh, loaners are like, we don't, we don't want our name behind that. Yeah. Like we're just an educational magazine. What's, <laughs> it's totally legal. <laughs> but it, I don't know how you, how you do it in the industry. It's, it's a tough thing. And that's, that's also another reason that I've never really considered doing a plant touching business. Because like for me, when I was teaching at San Francisco City College, and I created the first cur- cannabis curricula for that college um, and you had to have professional liability insurance. I had to spend a lot of money to get it and I was not handling the plant. I wasn't creating a product. I was just teaching at a college. And then the next year they dropped me because 
I taught about cannabis and I was like, I'm not, there's no plant matter in my house that I'm processing or selling. I am not exchanging any money for products. I'm not even like the person that it passes through. I'm not negotiating anything that has to do with product, but it was just for the simple fact that cannabis was part of the curriculum. And when was this? That was three years ago. Just, I'm like, I was like hoping you'd say 10 years ago. <laughs> We're still I know. Just three years ago. What? Yeah. <laughs> In California. Yeah. And I'm sure there are people still dealing with that. You know, fortunately for me, it's like I, I, I'm not teaching at a college any longer, so I don't have to, you know, have that kind of, you know, coverage, but like, it would be, it would be difficult. And it was like, it was like $800 for the year. I just, it, and it's just, I don't, I don't know when educating people about things like cannabis became that, or, you know, I mean, I, I, the, why is that? knowledge is, is power. Why are we not, you know, what, don't we want people to be safe? Don't we want people to be healthy? Um, if, if you're censoring things about cannabis, then we're going to have more problems with it. Not less. It's like, you know, I mean, we, people, people aren't going to know how to take it. They're going to take too much, you know, or, um, it, it there's nothing. Oh, that that's so frustrating. We could go down <laughs> the route. I know the things that people should be taught. I mean, it's like, Cannabis and sex education, two things that should, yeah, <laughs> we should yeah. be teaching. And we've got people saying, don't teach sex education, teach people to abstain. It's like, oh, well, great. We've just set everyone up for success. Let's do this. Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of similar. Like you said, people, we just teach people to abstain from cannabis in like your high school health class. And it's like, well, that's not going to help. And, and then, you know, you're, you're trying it and you're, you're a high school kid or you're a college kid and you try it, you're like, what's the big deal? Like everyone told me this was evil or this was gonna, this was a gateway drug. I, it's like, you know, it's just, and then when people are smart enough. They're like, well, now I'm being lied to by the government or by my school. You know, it's. I, the more that we teach, the more it's normalized and the, le the less stigma there is. One of the things people worry about in policy is youth access, right? Oh, what about the children? Well, guess what? If you don't teach them about it, and you create this mystique and stigma around it. If you were as precocious as I was when I was a kid, I was like, sign me up. I want to try it. Like it's, yeah. you know, the minute that it's like, oh, breaking it down, like, this is what it is. This is what you should consider with dosage. This is what this does. This is what this does. And, you know, like when I've talked to my nieces about it, I'll say, you know, because my my sister-in-law is like, well, what are your thoughts on children using cannabis? And even though I was a precocious kid, like I got high and I went to honors chemistry, not a great idea, but I still did well in class. <laughs> but, you know, when you think about like, I, I think that if for people who are underage using cannabis, it should only be done medicinally. I mean, I'm not going to kids are going to be kids and they're precocious and they experiment and that's part of our evolving into adulthood. Um, but it's also a really critical time with our neurodiversity because we see a lot of things popping up in our early to mid twenties, especially things like schizophrenia and bipolarism and, you know, just different things that can happen. And so I think, you know, as 
there was a lot that should be taken into consideration with like the history of neurodiversity in a family and genetics and things like that. And like, you know, you can't stop kids from doing what they're going to do. So arm them with the information so they can make educated decisions for themselves and be safe about it. But you can also have the conversation about your brain is developing right now and it's a really critical time and you really need to be careful. Like just really getting kids informed so that they don't go off and make because they're going to do what they're going to do but help them make smart decisions yeah totally we want to an issue uh, a story we had in our last issue was uh, a lot about concentrate use amongst teens right now um a lot of it seems that teenagers are using a lot of they're dabbing more using vapes more but they're doing high concentrates um up t- with a lot of thc in it and uh, it's it's causing some people to get sick and go to the hospital or they'll just be, they'll, they call it greening out, right? It's uh, mm-hmm. that they're just start throwing up because they're consuming so much THC. Um, and that, you know, we, you know, our, our, this article was in the parenting edition. So it was kind of in a way like parents, like you should be aware of this. And a lot of teenagers like it because it doesn't smell as bad and you can just go quickly into the bathroom in between classes and do it, you know, and um you know, I, I, I talked to a few parents and, you know, one mom who said, I, um, I, I have, op- have to have open conversations with my daughter about this. You know, I mean, she, a lot of her friends do these concentrates and she's like, I know that she's going to just, she's going to consume cannabis. She's found it. She loves it. But I, I encourage her to get flour. You yeah. know, I, I try to tell her not to do concentrates and it's, I mean, everyone's going to parent differently. And, but I mean, it, that's, you know, if I, especially like you said, with all the neurological things and findings, it's, I would much rather have my child you know, smoking some flour than, than concentrates um, in that amount. And I think if we don't talk about this and we don't, you know, put this, this information out there, how's anyone going to know? That's, you know, it's... <laughs> well, I mean, we have to look at things from a harm reduction perspective. Like even when I taught at City, I, I had, I was going to teach the classes on my own, but I actually requested having a professor at the university who was a psych who was a psych professor with a background in harm reduction department drew with me on it because we have to have the conversations around relationships with substances. Like people will say, Oh, cannabis isn't addictive and it's, it's never been addictive. And it's like, okay, so maybe it's not physically addictive, but we can psychologically have a bad relationship with anything. And we need to unpack this stuff and talk about it because when we have people in the industry that are like, like giving people a hard time about, you know, talking about their struggles with cannabis hyperemesis syndrome, you can't bully people about that. These things happen. Not even though our bodies are are built to work with cannabinoids, we create our own endogenous cannabinoids. We don't always respond well to phytocannabinoids. It's okay. Like it's not going to tank an industry if we have a conversation about the spectrum. Oops, as I hit my microphone, of you know the the very positive and beneficial to the things that we need to keep an eye out for because if we don't have that and going back to like when I had Michael Steele on the podcast we talked about the Tylenol moment it's like you know it's it's where people are surprised by something negative that happens and then it rolls into this huge snowball of negativity where everything is bad and you throw the baby out with the bathwater 
Because as human beings, we tend to go either things are really great and it's like the panacea or it's really horrible and it's the devil. And guess what? Nine times out of ten, it's shades of gray. And we need to be, you know, informing people and having conversations and be cognizant of what's going on with our bodies and exercising critical thought so that people can enjoy it. Because it's like, I can't tell you like how many times I like look at somebody and I go, and that's why we can't have nice things. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. It's true. And I think, you know, I mean, having a journalism background and, um, you know, learning that side of it first, I think, I think our industry, I think we have a lot of advocacy journalism out there. And I think there's totally a place for advocacy journalism, but I think it's also important that we're looking at both sides. And and I get it. I mean, people have been waiting for this plant to be legalized. They've been waiting for it to be decriminalized. And there's people are frustrated and they don't like bad news, like talking about cannabis hyperemesis syndrome or um, cannabis use disorder or other things that are negative about the plant. But if we want a functioning industry, we do need watchdogs and we need we need people to have honest conversations. It's not, um, you know, cannabis isn't isn't just a cure-all. It's, it is, a, it is something wonderful. It's a wonderful plant and it, there's so much we can learn from it still. And it's helped so many people, but if we just, yeah, if, like you said, it has to be shades of gray. If we just say this is amazing and there's nothing wrong with it and don't listen to anyone that says differently, then that's, that's going to do us all a disservice. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, advocacy is firmly, true advocacy is firmly rooted in reality. We need to be able to give people the full landscape of what we're working with so that people can make educated decisions for themselves. Or if they find themselves in a in a spot where they're uncomfortable, they understand why. Because, you know, even though there are things that aren't necessarily like the most flowery positive things around cannabis like we just talked about, there are also things that don't kill you. And they're just things that you need to be aware of. So that you have your toolkit and you can be, you know, you're not like I had somebody once call me when I was still working in the stores. I was like super high and took more of an edible than they needed to. And they're like, I'm not breathing. I'm like, well, you are because we're talking on the phone. But, you know, but I understand that you're feeling weird and it's scary and you probably have a, a tight chest. Like, are you home? Get yourself comfortable. Drink some water. Stay away from sugars and fats because that can intensify the high. And then she's like, ooh, pizza. And I'm like, see, girl, you're going to be okay. Like, <laughs> just relax. Get your jammies on. Put on a movie. Yeah. Like, it's it's really because you have one bad experience can create you know somebody who's totally turned off and against something just because they weren't. They weren't given the tools to be able to succeed or just to understand that maybe if it's not right for them, it doesn't mean that it's not right for everybody. Because that's the thing. It's that broad, the broad strokes of judgment that happen around this when people aren't as well informed as they should be. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't couldn't say it better myself. That's it. It, we all need to be informed and and it's, it's a fine line. It's, you know, finding, understanding it all and, and not, not, I don't know, not feeling uncomfortable with it, um, you know, and, but also not putting your, your rose tinted glasses on and saying there's no problems, but it's, there's a, there's a fine line of, yeah, we, we need to approach this in a, in an accurate and clear way. And I think the more research we do and the more 
you know, we communicate what's out there and what we're learning, the better off we'll be. Another good side of, I think, of uh, federally legalizing is hopefully there could be a lot more research. I know. I know. We need a lot more research. But I also think that, you know, publications that are, you know, friendly and inviting like yours open the door for conversation where we see more normalization and people talking to like I, I remember like when Sanjay Gupta came out with his his series of videos I had this woman in her 80s come in and she's like if Dr. Gupta says it's okay I feel like I can try it it's like yeah I just you know you don't yeah. have to do something that gets you high just try something you know if, if you need it it's totally and I think bridging the gap just having people understand it I I think we've talked about this once before, but you know, I think we're both from the Midwest uh, originally, right? And it's, yeah. it's um, and so is Katie, who I work with with Sweet Jane and she's, or she's from Colorado, but she spent a lot of time in Kansas. I was born in Kansas, but moved to Colorado. But it's, uh, I feel like when we come up with stories in a lot of ways, we're trying to talk to like our aunts and our uncles and our, our friends that are, you know, maybe in, maybe in states where it's still illegal. We're trying to bridge that gap and show that this is not, scary this is okay i like here and, and most of the time people want to talk about it you know they're curious i mean every once in a while you people will just kind of change the subject but a lot of times people want to ask questions and they want to know more and i think it's just providing that outlet like hey we're here here's some info we're, we're here we're ready to talk when you are <laughs> yeah well and i think P, i think you're right i think people are more open to it than they were before like when i when i started working in cannabis a decade ago you know, we were still getting trained on what happens with a federal raid. And, I, you know, I'd gone from a middle management job to working in cannabis. And, you know, my thing, if, if I hadn't gone through cancer, I'm pretty sure I would have gotten a lot more um, pushback from my family. But I was kind of like, I just survived. I get to do what I want. I get the I get the free card. So back off. I'm going back to school and doing my thing. And they were like, there she goes. <laughs> Having having a crazy post cancer crisis, let's let her run with it. But you know, it's like she's still running. I'm still eleven years later. I'm still running. <laughs> Do you feel like since then, though, your family's been more supportive, or even like been curious to try it themselves? Yeah, I mean, my my mother actually. She's going to kill me for saying this. Um, she actually you used to like it like even before I was born. And I, I found out that when I was really little and my aunt would come visit, that they would go outside and have a smoke. I didn't I didn't know that until later. Like, I, you know, she she like she made it sound like she never tried anything. And I was a virgin birth. <laughs> you know? It was like I had no idea. But now as she's older, and she's actually, a, she's, she's retired, but she's a cancer researcher, and she did the, um, the clinical trials on the protocol that I ended up taking years later. And um, she, because of her, I knew that I could use it to help with nausea and stuff like that. But as she's gotten older, she's just like, yeah, I don't know. That's not my thing. And you you know, I'm like, you're not going to lose your license anymore. You're like retired woman. Like there's, there's nothing about that. But I, I found like when I went up to, um, uh, when I went up for my grandmother's memorial and I, I was meeting up with family and I was kind of wor worried about what they would think because they're definitely a lot more proper than I am. Um, I love them. They're just 
way more proper than I am. <laughs> um, and they were actually had questions and they're like, it's cool what you do. Like I'm, I'm interested in it. And, you know, when I first started, like even telling like friends or just people that I meet what I did, sometimes people would be very turned off by it. But then it got to the point where like one time I was at a friend's birthday party and I actually had to leave, not because I was some, I had offended somebody or somebody had offended me, but because I wanted to like hang and this woman kept at me with like all these industry questions and how to get a job and da 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 da. And I was like, I'm off the clock, mama. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I want to have fun and, and enjoy this birthday party. You're kind of intense. <laughs> so I just, You're kind went of up, intense. I went yeah. out the back door. <laughs> old French accent. <laughs> yeah, just a little. Yeah. Just a little. But it's, you know, it, I, I, it's exciting to see how things are changing and, I'm really, I'm really hoping that there are going to be more women re-entering now that we're getting into this new normal. And the pan pandemic, though, it's becoming endemic. It's like we're learning as as human beings are incredibly adaptable, so we're learning to live in a whole new way. And I, I have to say that I'm kind of built for this because I I like to s stay home and work on stuff. Like you can give me a project and put me by myself, and I'll just be like, let's do it. But I know not everybody's like that. Like some people are more social and, and we're learning how to, to live that way. Yeah, I know. I feel like I was the opposite. I, I was just extreme extrovert and always wanted to be out. And now I'm just, it's probably also just like, as you get older, you, lo you love your home more and, you know, but I am, um, but now I'm like, oh, I have to go out for this. <laughs> I, know. I, I just like, I just want to be a home with my project. So, and I feel like the pandemic did that to me a little, but just uh, kind of taught me to to be able to be alone with myself and that that's okay. And you don't, you know, they're working from home. I used to always like want to work at an office because I'm like, I'm missing out. But now I'm like, oh, everyone's working from home. We're fine. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Well, and I, I feel like, you know, I, when I do have meetings with my colleagues in person, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to see them and to connect. But I like, I, I'm totally okay doing stuff on my own. And I was just thinking about like, when you were talking about, you know, us being kind of more real, more human throughout all of this, I think that, you know, in the past, like if you were on a Zoom call and it was interrupted by something or it was dropped or like your cat jumped on your lap, everybody would be like, ah, so unprofessional, what's happening? Mm -hmm. And now people are like, we're human. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you'd be started the pandemic. Everyone's, oh, sorry. Okay, my microphone. Everyone was just wearing like very nice shirts and you know looking all fancy and how people are like cool t-shirt, hair's hair's pulled back, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have my fancy pajamas that I put on. There you go. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> yeah. I've invested oh. in like five pairs of them and I'm like, hey, I don't wear them to bed. They're I wear them color. to meetings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. Gotta be comfortable. You know, I, I couldn't, oh, going to an office and having to do business casual doesn't sound fun. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. I mean, I know some people are like super excited about that, but, um, you know, I, I've never been one to be like, let's sport some slacks and make it happen. <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> I'm with you there. <laughs> I, you know, it's just also like with the pandemic, I, I'm wondering, like when we look at the numbers, like, you were right. A lot of people started like coming out of the cannabis closet or actually trying cannabis during this time to create 
look as human beings we're constantly striving for homeostasis like when i had my best attended class online was my sleep depression and anxiety class and there was one class in particular where i had like 200 people online for it and i'm wondering what we're going to see for numbers of people, cannabis users, when things start to calm down, if people are going to keep it as part of their routine, or if it's like, eh, it was it was for the time, it was coping for the moment, and now I'm in back into my old regime and doing what I do, like going for my runs, drinking my tea, whatever, whatever. Yeah, that's a good question. And I think it's, I think it's also like another thing that like kind of we're guess we're coming back to quote unquote normal right but at the same time the industry is has such momentum behind it and more places are making it legal or you know medically uh, accessible and so i think I, I, yeah i don't know if, i don't know if like like if we were to look at numbers like sales numbers i don't know if we'd see a shift because i think new people are trying it all the time yeah you know yeah um I don't know. That'd be interesting. I wonder, I feel like that's something we should look at in a year or two. (laughs) I think that would be a great thing to revisit in a year or two. And even like doing a survey about people's use during the pandemic before and after, actually before, during and after to see what people Mm -hmm. are doing. Because I also know some people that, you know, like, like we're talking about, you know, it's like cocktails, rich food, desserts. It's the end of the world. Let's do whatever we want. Like, how many people were like, oh, yeah, I really like got a little crazy with the weed. And then I kind of reined it back because, I mean, you know, I I know that like for myself, I go through different phases where especially if I'm having problems sleeping, I may consume more than I normally do. And then when I'm in a space where things are a little bit more balanced, I may, you know, go more towards things that are, are a little bit more non-euphoric. Like, I'm a huge fan of, like, CBD and CBG during the daytime for focus, mm-hmm. you know. But during the pandemic, there are some days where I was like, eh, you know, we're smoking a joint during the day. That's going to be all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I know. I'm even just trying to think personally. Like, I think my use definitely went up. I know my wine use went up. <laughs> But I, I hear that. Uh, but I, <laughs> but I, I think, uh, yeah, I think it did. I think it went up a bit. But I think now. But but yeah, I feel like now I just have different tools, like you said, like CBG or CBD, or like I love my little micro doses. Yeah. Um, whereas yeah, during the pandemic, it was like, okay, let's just smoke this joint and then this next joint and this next joint because what the hell else is there to do <laughs> you know so I I still feel like my numbers are probably the same as far as using but they're just I'm just using in a different way you know yeah yeah I've become a big fan of cannabis beverages especially when I have friends over in the yard and most of them have lower tolerances so I have the lower the two to four milligram ones for them and and a 20 for me and then I'm really <laughs> hanging in the yard you know, and it's it's nice because it's like it's kind of like having it is like having a cocktail. It's very social and you know, yeah. you, you feel the effects, you know, but it's also not it's not me talking to somebody like puffing on my joint where like, you know, not everybody wants to be around you when you're smoking weed. And uh yeah. you know, I always like to be cognizant of that too. 
But we are. Let's let's go back to the magazine because what are what are you excited about? Tell me about the new issue. Tell me about what you're working on that you're in the next year. That's that's just gonna that that you're just really looking forward to. What are you enthused about? Yeah. Um, let's see. I think so. Our how-to issue. Um, I think when this airs, will have just come out or a couple months before, and it is uh, so that our how-to edition is kind of. Uh, a mixture of things. It's like we have a consumption section. It's like how to how to use a dab rig, how to roll a joint, kind of your your basics. Uh, but then we also look at other things like uh, well-being things, like how to introduce cannabis in the bedroom. Uh, very hot topic. A lot mm-hmm. of a lot of products out there right now about that. Um, and different. So it's and then you know it, it, even deeper issues like we have a PF feature on um, how to understand the war on drugs. Because we sure talk, we talk a lot about a lot about it in this industry. But what really are the effects? When did it start? Why is it still going? Um, you know, just really trying to break it down a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, and then soon to come out will be our grow edition, um, and that is kind of a new area for us where we're just looking at the cultivation industry. We're looking at you know part of it is you know there are articles about hey if you want to do your own grow. Uh, situation at home um, how do you do it indoor or outdoor you know I think I think the grow industry is interesting I think the barrier to entry feels very intimidating you know, it feels high and kind of intimidating for some people mm-hmm. um, but there are ways that you can just try it out like just have a little plant chill, you know chilling in your backyard and just see what happens you don't have to necessarily have huge tents that you know and lighting uh, so it's it's trying to kind of show a more approachable side but also show you know what people are doing there are people doing some really interesting things out there um a little bit of a mixture just everything grow um and so that's going to be a fun one i'm learning already learning so much about it um and uh it's fun my uh my husband actually has started uh he he said he did this for the issue of course but uh he started trying (laughs) growing plants yeah, so helpful. And he, but he loves it. He's having so much fun. Um, he just like sits on YouTube all the time, like, watching instructional videos and people talking about it. And uh, yeah, he just loves it. So it's kind of, and I, I see these little plants and I'll go down and just sit with them. He has a little tent and I'm just like, you guys are just so pretty. And, but I'm just like, all this, all this drama over these little guys, <laughs> you know, we just, they're just, just a plant. You know? and, um, so it's, but it's funny. It's, it's fun to, um, you feel a little bit closer to, to it when you're watching the process. I mean, I certainly don't, I can't really be trusted with them, but <laughs> it's fun to watch him do it. And uh, so I'm, I'm excited about that issue. Um, I also, we also recently got um, an international correspondent. She's uh, Marguerite Arnold. She's in, uh, in Germany, but she's been writing some pieces for us looking at Europe and cannabis reform. And those are mostly online, but um, on sweetjanemag.com, but really liking that because it's just, interesting to see how they're going about it and we're looking at just different countries and up you know Germany's the furthest ahead right now with cannabis reform and it's it's interesting uh, and it'll be interesting to see where it goes so it's fun yeah. to see it we focus so much on the U.S. because um, obviously we want to get legalized and we want it decriminalized but it's interesting to see what other countries are doing. Yeah it'll be interesting to see how they interpret it through their lens especially because and this might be a gross generalization but I always find that the Germans are so methodical about the way they approach things, like with process. Mm-hmm. So what are we going to learn from, you know, what they come up with? I'm really excited to see that. And they, I no- noticed that they just had ICBC in uh, Berlin. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I think, I think it's going to be super interesting. And I think there was some drama around it. Like the people voted for reform and it wasn't happening. And so uh, someone in the government kind of said something like, look, we're going to take away your PR budget for the rest of the year, unless you get this going. Wow. <laughs> so it's, there's a, the article's online. I'm, I'm butchering it horribly, but, um, but it's, it's, it is interesting to kind of see it's like the people want it, but it's taking a little longer. And so it's, it'll be fun to see, hopefully it gets done. Yeah. <laughs> so the people are, are happy about it. <laughs> it's really interesting. Like when you think about how we, the United States is the one who basically brought about worldwide prohibition and now we're the ones going just kidding (laughs) sorry about that we had a bunch of we had a bunch of myths we had a bunch of industrialists that were worried about their own making money and and maybe some racists tossed in there and that's why we we couldn't have nice things for a while yeah haha just kidding yeah let's let's move on (laughs) (laughs) we're doing that for one of our issues too the how-to edition looking at um the stigma around it in Asian communities, um, Asian American communities, but also it, it's a big history. I mean, there's a lot to it with the opioid epidemic and kind of, you know, a lot of Asian countries, I'm um, just putting the kibosh, like no, no drugs, zero tolerance policy and um, how it really did create this stigma. Um, even though a lot of that was because of opioids, but cannabis got lumped in. And now, now there are countries like I think Thailand and Vietnam who are trying to decriminalize or you know do yeah. medical and, but it's it's a long time. I mean, it's just it's a lot of work because of all of the stigma created around it and I, and yeah, and I think in a lot of ways that we we had to do with that too. So it's just uh, you know. yeah, we sure did. I mean, it's it's a lot of unpacking of some of a lot of the practices that you know we're people are wanting to bring forth to educate people so it doesn't happen again, like deconstructing colonialism. But, you know, then we have people who say, oh, well, you know, why are we teaching this? This is, this isn't, this isn't good. It's like, well, actually it is. So we don't do it again. And, you know, (laughs) you weren't there for that. So you weren't, you aren't being held responsible, but you are being held responsible to not do it again. So this isn't, this isn't critical race theory. This is reality. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Learn it now. And so you don't repeat the mistake. <laughs> yeah. Cause we do. We, if you see that, I mean, the cycles of our history, we repeat the same mistakes over and over again. And we have a, we have an amazing opportunity to really change the way we treat people of color. We treat women. We treat, you know, when I, when we look at people in the illicit market who are, you know, they're, they're, artisan growers they're they're entrepreneurs they're they're people who need a way to get into a legitimate industry so that they don't have to be looking over their shoulders but they shouldn't be so depleted that they can't do their work it should be creating abundance generational wealth for anybody who wants to do it yeah yeah and i i think on, on, that's on a large scale, but I think if you just look at the cannabis industry, I, I really hope that opportunity is given. And I, I we see it happening in some places. Um, I mean, Oakland, San Francisco, you know, they've had some great, um, great programs in place. But you know, I, uh, yeah, we've got to do it right. 
Yeah, we have a lot of work to do. Even in California, well, actually, I'm going to say especially in California, we've laid the groundwork. But there have been a lot of thoughtful advocates and activists that have laid the groundwork for what this should look like. And now we have to do the work and make it happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And hopefully we get to that point on a national level, too. Yeah. Well, we've got amazing, amazing people in so many states that are really pushing for that. And I'm really hoping that when we start looking at federal legalization, well, I mean, we are looking at it, but when we really, really dig into it, that the people who are influencing it on a federal level are able to push forward those those values. Mm-hmm. I know. And it needs to be people that are knowledgeable about it. Like, it can't be like, you know, like when they were trying to figure out ways to limit social media and none of the politicians even knew what like Facebook messaging was. I can't feel like that. We need to get the experts in the room who can help with this and hopefully, hopefully seeing it on in state levels, you know, is um, hopefully that's helping because we're seeing what's going right and what's going wrong. And hopefully we can bring everyone to the table. Yeah. And, yeah. And do it the right way. Yeah. I hope I that that's it's hopeful, but I, <laughs> I feel the same way, though, because it is it's an interesting thing because it is in many ways it's not necessarily the most knowledgeable that get to speak their piece to create good policy that serves the people. It often is people with the deepest pockets and they're creating policy that benefits their interests. And, you know, there's there are certain policies that may benefit their interests that benefit other people as well. But we really do need to look at this more holistically and. And, you know, the fact of the matter is we're doing this today. We're able to do this today because there are critically ill people who needed it. Yeah. And when you're sick, it's expensive. It's expensive to be ill and it's scary. And we can't forget those people. And, And some of these people are people who are so very touched by their experiences that they have become not even not just part of the movement, but they have become part of the industry to be able to, you know, take it forward even more. And they they deserve our respect and support, especially when we're looking at, you know, the veteran community and and people of color, both black and brown folks getting in there and doing the work it's you know and it's not about just creating employees it's about creating if a person wants to be an entrepreneur they should be able to have the opportunity to do it Mm -hmm. yep here i go miss little miss sunshine (laughs) (laughs) but it's good we gotta gotta talk about these things and i mean i i think we gotta we gotta have optimism right we gotta uh, and just hope it goes goes well. We've we've certainly we're all getting a lot of time to try it out in states and to talk about it. And when we get to the point of federal legalization, we I, I hope we're all ready. <laughs> I know, me too, me too. If people want to follow you on social media or check out the magazine, where shall they go? Yes, uh, you can follow us at Sweet Jane Mag. Uh, on Instagram, and you can also follow me at Barbara Platts, P L A T T S, and our website is sweetjanemag.com. Um, reach out to us, you know, and piss up. We'd love, we'd love to talk. Or if you're interested in writing for us or you you got an interesting story, want to share something, um, so we write something about you, let us know. We're, we're here. Awesome. And remember, everybody, Planted is twice a month. So check us out. You can listen to us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. 
Apple, Amazon, Google, Stitcher, TuneIn, Pandora, Spotify. I got them all. Also, our parent <laughs> network, Radio Misfits Network. You can also listen to the latest episode on www.plantedwithsarah.com and on social media for Instagram and Twitter, we are Planted with Sarah. On Facebook, we are Planted with Sarah Pion. And of course, if you want to follow me on social media, I am Sarah Mitra Pion on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter, I am Sarah M. Pion. So you can check out the latest episodes. And if you follow me, you can look at some cannabis education, pictures of my cat, my husband, and the food that I cook. <laughs> and if you like episodes, if you're enjoying it, share them and give us feedback. We love hearing reviews. And if there's somebody in particular that you want to hear from on the show, let us know because this is for you. Um, Barbara, thanks so much for joining me today. This was just so much fun. And I'm really looking forward to our future conversations. And I'm so glad that Sweet Jane, I mean, I know that you were around during the pandemic and digital, but I'm so happy for you that you're jumping back into print and everybody check out the magazine. It's a beautiful magazine with wonderful contributors and articles. So check it out. Thank you. And thank you, Sarah. That's always so much fun talking to you. Thank you. And for everybody out there, remember, it's a crazy world. Be kind to each other. You got to be good to each other to make it through the days, even if we're not in a pandemic. And stay curious. Until next time, Sarah Pion signing out. <laughs> <laughs>